So you start. All right. Well, welcome to. Uh, wait, I'm gonna start again. So oh, start. now you have to leave this in. Oh, bleep it. <laughs> Welcome to Why Did You Read That, starring yeah. me, Peter. And me, Megan. And you, Megan. Yeah. We're sorry we missed a month. Yeah. It was kind of my fault, but kind of the government's fault. We got all your letters of complaint. Yeah, we did. In a big sack that had a, a letter on it instead yeah. of a dollar sign. Yeah. It was a big lie, actually. We didn't hear anything from, from anybody. The bank. <laughs> <laughs> you want You want the listeners to all feel like they're part of a giant... Uh, a group of like-minded legion of you know yeah. the zombies going over the wall in world war z movie yeah that's how i picture the listeners of this show okay you're welcome everybody <laughs> um you usually start us off with a joke well okay i'll just introduce the show real quick yep. so this is why did you read that what we do is each of us brings four books yep uh i pick two of megan's books that i want to hear about in more depth she picks two of mine that i want to hear or that she wants to hear about in more depth yep so we talk in depth about four total, bring up eight total, uh-huh. and then uh, we're done. Yes. And also, we start with a joke. Yes. After we have a clumsy intro, then we do a joke. Yes. This is our routine. And we have a, a singular audience member here. We do. To Special enjoy guest. the joke this time. Yeah. So if you hear laughter, when you hear laughter. <laughs> yeah. We're hoping for laughter. Peter's so bad at giving me laughter. I know. All right. All right. Ready? ready? Yes. An ancient Greek walks into his tailor's shop with a pair of torn pants. Euripides asked the tailor. <laughs> yeah. Eumenides replied the Greek. <laughs> I actually like that one quite a bit. <laughs> we don't even need you. <laughs> Bye. Thank, thank you, you for your service. Yeah. Checks in the mail. <laughs> so uh, we've had a we've had a full month. To build up uh, great options, we have. great reads, great books. Uh, so I've got, I've got four, and they are as follows. I'm ready. Uh, the first one I don't know how to say the name of exactly. Okay. But it's either Beowulf or Beowulf or something. B E A space Wolf by Zach Wienersmith. Okay. Um, it's basically a graphic novel that's kind of like if you slap together the story of Beowulf with Calvin and Hobbes. Um, this is what you would get. That's a combo. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. All right. The next one is a book called Extreme Canvas by Ernie Wolf III. And it is about the tradition of hand-painted action movie posters from Ghana. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that this was a thing that you were interested in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was, yeah, that was the one that when we couldn't do it for the last month, and it was like, oh, this isn't going to happen. I was like, mm, that's the one I was dying to talk about. Uh, next, I have uh, just kind of an out there one is Punisher Epic Collection, Volume 4 by Stephen Grant, which has some really weird uh, Punisher stories in it. But also, uh, the Punisher as a character is very different than I think sometimes we think of him. So okay. it's kind of interesting. Okay. And then the last one is a book called The Unfortunates by B.S. Johnson, which is a book that has a really unusual format. 
um, instead of being like sort of a normal, whatever, 200 page book, uh, you get it in a box and it's a series of like 20, 28 pamphlets. And the first one and the last one are supposed to be read first and last, but then the rest can go in any order. Okay. And that's okay how that one works. <laughs> so that's my four. All right. I want to hear about Beowulf. Okay. So Beowulf uh, is by Zach Wiener Smith. I, can't, I wish I could remember the artist, but I can't. But um, he's, he's a comics guy. Okay. And has done some other uh, just fun stuff. He did one uh, I probably talked about on here, Trial of the Clone, which was kind of a choose-your-own-adventure slash solo RPG in a book. I do kind of remember that. Um, so this is basically it, the story of Beowulf, and uh, there's a kingdom, and it's a bunch of kids in a treehouse, but then, like, uh, and they're, you know, partying all night, eating candy, and watching TV, and doing <laughs> stuff like that, and then there's a... a an adult named Mr. Grendel, you know, and the treehouse is for some reason in his backyard, uh, which makes no sense, but you know, he's very annoyed by all these kids. So then he goes into the treehouse at night and like, he, he has a magical touch where if he touches the kids, they turn into like young adults. So then they're worried about like mortgage rates and things like that. <laughs> and they're not fun anymore. <laughs> um, so they call in this like warrior from a distant land, which is Beowulf, you know, and it's like a little girl who uh, is like, I can defeat Grendel, you know, and like all that stuff. So it's basically the Beowulf story, but it's kind of like put into this really different context. Yeah. Um, it's super fun. It it's sounds super fun. cute. I think it's like a good one, even if I think it would be good if you hadn't read Beowulf. I mean, I'm, I have. <laughs> I, I read it because I was in high school and I had to. Yeah. But uh, I actually Did you read the Seamus Heaney? I did. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, but actually, it's probably my favorite classic. Yeah. As far as classics go, because it's like, I, I hate when teachers do this. English teachers love to be like, we're going to read Shakespeare. Do you guys want to read something with sword fights and sex and you know and try and pump you up for it but then you read it and you're like eh I don't know if that was the right sales pitch for this <laughs> I'm not saying Shakespeare's bad but I am saying like if you put like the trailer for Predator in front of, in front of Pride and Prejudice you're not gonna no one's gonna be pleased by that yeah so um but Beowulf I think is probably the closest to being like an action movie. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of surprising to me there hasn't been like a big there was that like weird uncanny valley CG Beowulf. Yeah. Which was not terrible but weird choices were made. Yeah. Um it's in the 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 public uh yeah. domain too so it does seem like People should be all over it. Yeah, it, it's got to be like one of the most public domainist things ever because yeah. it's like so old. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm shocked that it hasn't been made into like some kind of a more epic movie that yeah. you know, big budget action movie because it's like basically the whole thing is just like three or four different action set pieces. Yeah. You know, it's fights... been 20 years since we've had a Lord of the Rings movie. What yeah. are they doing? This is exactly the the road. Yeah. You know, um, maybe that was it. Maybe people were like, mm, we've had enough sword and sandal action here. Let's just Please. like, whatever. Uh, if if we can get an actual Lord of the Rings quality movie, I'll take it. 
Do you think if somebody like an average person from today went back in time to like sword and sandal times that they would fare okay in a battle? Because no. I think they would just because I feel like everybody in a battle at that time, like a 30 year old man was like a hundred year old man today. You know, and like half of them would be missing fingers and like their arms wouldn't work right because they broke it one time when they were 12, you know, like. Yeah, but they, like in these sword and sandal movies, they all fight for a living. They're in like pretty great shape. And let's be honest, I guess modern so. man is not known for, for, you know, his need to fight to survive. I just have this feeling for some reason that I'm like, when you see those big armies clashing, yeah. I'm like, there's got to be like five or six dudes who are like I'm gonna try and find someone over on the other side who's also not really into this and we can just like hit swords together for a while and then kind of skirt our way out of the battlefield and just get out of here like I always half wonder if somebody finds like a little pile of bodies and just like lays down and is like I'll just wait for this to be over yeah yeah cause I I don't know when you see like okay you see a Lord of the Rings and I'm like I kinda get it like evil will take over the land forever yeah but you watch, like, uh, Braveheart, mm. and, like, the guys who are fighting for the king, I'm sort of like, are these guys really that into it? You know what I mean? Are yeah. they, like, that? Is this... Do they care? I mean, some of it must be cultural, because I know that, like, part of what made the Vikings so scary is that their goal was to be defeated in battle. That's how you get into their version of, like, the afterlife, mm -hmm. Valhalla, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what made them scary is because they went all in hoping you would kill them. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I could offer them that service. Like, It's like, look, if you just want to die in a battle. Well, they want to die in battle to somebody who's stronger than them. So oh, they're, well, they're, they're really trying to kill you, but they're hoping that you'll be better. But this is what I wonder about, too, because I'm just like, in general, in Viking days, it's not like they were, like, training. You know what I mean? They didn't know. They wouldn't know, like, oh, I'm managing my macros for my gains, you know, this month and, like, whatever. I mean, there was no cardio back then, right? Like, it wasn't like you would... Well, they, like, physically rode their boats to get anywhere. Yeah, but then there you'd be exhausted like cars. when you got there, I would think. But it's cardio. Like, it's intensive cardio all the time. It's like that part in uh, Conan where Arnold is, like, you know, pushing that... Whatever that thing is, that drill to hell, that they never explain what it is. But at the beginning of the movie, he's just pushing this giant thing in a circle. Um, and then he does that, I guess, for 20 years. And then it cuts to him and he's like super ripped and huge. And you're like, mm, I don't think that's how that works. Yeah. He'd have amazing calves. Maybe, but it's they probably wouldn't feed him anything. You know what I True. mean? So he's never going to recover. True. It's and, not like, like he was a valued you know, <laughs> asset. They were like, oh, yeah, we got to make sure and keep this drill to hell guy pushing this giant log. Because it's like, well, that's why we put him there, right? Because we don't care about him. <laughs> like, what do we do with him? I feel like we've gotten off track. We've gotten way off track. <laughs> um, anyway, Beowulf, if you like Beowulf, it's really fun. It's one of those things, too, where it's kind of like, a, it's not a parody, but it's like a very loving tribute like to... Like an homage. Yeah. And it does some of the things, like it does some of the little linguistic things that Beowulf does and whatever, but it's also not stuffy. Right. And the illustrations are great. They're like cartoony, super fun. I just like stumbled into this one, had a super good time with it. Yeah. And would highly recommend it, especially if you know Beowulf a little. 
And if you don't, it might not be as good. But if you read like the Wikipedia of Beowulf, you would be fine. Yeah. Also, Beowulf, by the way, good classic because you could probably read it in like an hour. Yeah. It's pretty short. I know that like the Seamus Heaney translation is not that thick. And it's also like the old English on one page and the modern English on the other. So it's like half that size, actually. Yeah. And it's kind of like center justified. Yeah. So it doesn't even go out to the margins most of the time. It's a great book if you wanted to trick people into thinking you're reading a smart, super like intense textbook. But really, you're like, basically, I'm reading a Thor comic. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like a monster story. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's Beowulf. Cool. By Zach sounds good. Wienersmith, which is spelled exactly like it sounds. Unfortunate. And I was like, is that his real last name, Wienersmith? It has to be. Why would you change it to that? I, I don't know. Because you just, you were like, I want my kid to have the worst elementary school experience a kid has ever had. <laughs> wow. All right. All right. I also have four. Um, okay. The first one is To the Edges of the Earth, 1909, The Race for the Three Poles and the Climax of the Age of Exploration by Edward J. Larson. Can I stop you for one second? Mm-hmm. Three poles? Yeah. I wondered that too. So okay. um, I initially I was like, I wonder if one of them is like the magnetic pole. And mm. they do talk about the magnetic pole. But actually the third was the, like they called the pole of elevation. So um, somebody trying to get as high as um, physically possible on the Earth's surface. So Okay. So the third okay. was, would technically still be Everest, but in 1909 when it's focused, um, the that area of the world was close to Westerners. So. Oh, okay. So the highest that you could climb, you could get to was K2. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was just wondering if that was something that I was like, Am I the only person who doesn't yeah. know this? No. Okay, good. <laughs> I wondered what it would end up being myself. <laughs> and that's what it was. Uh, the second is Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes. It's the story of Medusa told more completely because mostly people just know her as a gorgon who could turn me into stone, who's kind of a villain. So it's the actual totality of her story. Um, and she was like, she was a victim who was punished for her, her like for the crime that was committed upon her which is kind of sad of course and it's uh told from like a more modern perspective okay did you do one by this author before natalie haynes no but i did another um i did like a modern mythology retelling thing okay yeah all right um then i have aliens the essential comics volume one Oh, my God. Uh, It's a collection of three comic stories all released after the movie Aliens, but before Alien 3. So it's like where the story might have gone. Oh, okay. You know. Is this a Dark Horse book? Probably. Okay. Doesn't matter. Probably. Sure. Let's say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then I have Iron and Magic by Alona Andrews. Oh, because yeah. I'm still me. I'm running out. I'm down to just short stories at this point. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is the first in the Iron Covenant series, which is a spinoff of the Kate Daniels books. And it's focused on that series, like one of the biggest villains in that series mm. and turns him into the protagonist of this new series. As of right now, there is only book number one. According to their website, they are expecting to release book number two, quote unquote, soon. Okay. So soon for Alona Andrews must be relatively soon, right? I don't know. We're not know. talking like a Cormac McCarthy. I hope eh, not. It'll take 16 years situation. I really hope not. 
But all right. yeah, me too. Yeah, that's all I got. For your sake and for everyone's <laughs> sake. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, I I would feel bad for anyone working on a book for sixteen years. It's I'd a long be time. Like, that's a nightmare. Yeah, maybe just. Some people just say put it in a drawer or throw it away. I'm like, throw it on the Kindle store and forget about it. <laughs> Maybe you'll make five bucks. Like, who cares? Um, well, obviously, I want to hear about aliens. Like, <laughs> I'm shocked to hear this. Yeah, I couldn't not ask about that. <laughs> you want me to, to pick that one first? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it is the only author that I wrote down is the one that was showing up in the app I use for tracking my reading. It's Mark Verheiden. But I think that they were three different artists and three different um, authors for the three different Seems stories. likely. Yeah. And I'm only going to really go into the first one because they're connected and I don't want to give everything away. Oh, okay. So essentially it opens and anyone who's seen the Alien and Aliens movies, the first two, knows that the second one ends with Ripley, Bishop, Newt, and Hicks all kind of leaving... Um, the, you know, the place where the they, colony yeah, or LV426. It's fine. I knew it. I knew <laughs> if I was like the colony something, yeah. you would jump in with Hadley's the name. Hope on LV426. This is a complete reversal, by the way. It's usually me being like, well, that's Earth 616. And so, and this, so this is great. This is everything I hoped it would be. Yeah. I'm, I love the alien franchise. It's true. <laughs> so, they're all uh, they're all leaving. They've nuked the site and hopefully destroyed all of the alien eggs. Although they nuked Hadley's Hope, I don't know how close the ship is, so the ship mm. may still be there. That's always been a question mark in my mind. Okay. Um. So the the comics are many years after they've gotten back to Earth. Mm -hmm. So Newt is um like psychologically damaged. I'm sure it shocks fair. no one to hear. <laughs> Pretty fair. <laughs> and uh, she is actually institutionalized. And mm -hmm. Hicks is, um, I think he's just off getting drunk somewhere. Like, and no PTSDing one... it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's got the, the acid scars from oh, the yeah. end of the movie where he gets splashed a little bit. That's right. Yep. Okay. And uh, there's no mention of Ripley at all. She's just kind of kind of notably not around mm -hmm. uh, which ends up getting explained but i wondered about it for a while so okay. for a while she's just not there uh and then you've got you know your your old standby alien story the Whalen yutani corporation the company still wants to get their hands on aliens and to the point where they actually have like there's a like a cult that worships the alien and is trying to steal the alien from um, from the company so that they can be hosts for aliens. That's like what they're, what they'd like to happen. Sure. And, uh, they have like this ultra insane army guy who's trying, he thinks he can train the aliens to be like a weapon, which, oh, that, yeah, that old chestnut classic action movie no. plot. I was shocked when one of the newer Jurassic parks had that. Cause I was like, mm. this is like such an eighties, nineties throwback yeah. where they're like, what if we took chucky and made him into a military weapon and yeah. it's like no the you thing don't need is, to do that makes total sense yeah but i mean i, I mean not that it not that it would be possible but that that is something we would that was totally something sure. that the military would do it does and at the same time it's like is there nobody who's like you know we could just blow things up yeah you know what i mean like maybe we maybe this is like a little more dangerous <laughs> for us yeah 
Well, yeah. <laughs> or like, can we do this on a space station that has no access to anything? So that nobody can... And at least in the movies, like, you can you can explain it away. You can be like, well, they just have, like, this mental image of what the alien is. Yeah. They haven't lived through it. But this guy is trying to actually train a queen to control the drones. Right. He's seen, he's seen it. Yeah. And he still thinks that he can control them. So I don't know what's going on there. Always some idiot during yeah. that. Ugh, okay. But it ends up being uh, Earth becomes overrun with aliens. Okay. Um, that's well. kind of like the core of the story is what do you do when that's what you get yeah uh and you get to see the alien home world and like their hive oh. and like it's pretty it's pretty fun um i don't know if you aren't into alien if you're gonna dig this though this is something to to me that you'd have you kind of want to be a fan of the franchise to read it otherwise you're just going to be like all of these little nods to the movies and to the lore is it's just gonna go right past you you're not gonna care Okay, so I guess minor spoilers for Alien 3, mm-hmm. because Alien 3, in my memory, it's the one I've seen the least. Yeah, um, fair. Starts Alien 4 is probably the one I've seen the least. <laughs> I saw that one a bunch for some reason. It's not that good. <laughs> it must have been one of those, you know, like, one of my parents had HBO for a couple oh. years, and, yeah. you know, they would show the same movie over and over yeah. and over. And I think it was one of those. I mean, it does have some amazing visuals. Like, A Swimming Alien is pretty great. That was awesome. It's it's ridiculous in a way that the other ones aren't. And it's kind of, like, lovable on that level. But also, it's like... It's not eh, that good. Yeah. I mean, people talk a lot of garbage about Alien 3. And I prefer Alien 3 to Alien 4. I'm sure watching it now. I would probably, and certainly Alien 3 seems to fit in more with the other movies yeah. than Alien 4 is almost like if, what's that movie company? The Asylum made an alien movie <laughs> and they were like, well, what, what are alien movies really about? And it's like people like with guns and they're like shooting and the aliens are coming and they have acid and, you yeah. know, and you're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So Alien 3, right, starts off and it's like Ripley's on like a prison colony. Yeah, they've crashed and, and everyone is dead, dead but, but her. her. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this is kind of like an alternate reality yeah. thing. It's, honestly, it's where I personally would have preferred the franchise to go. I really yeah. enjoyed like Hicks and Ripley's chemistry as characters. I liked the idea of, for anyone who doesn't know the director's cut of aliens mm. um when she gets back after the first movie she's been in hypersleep for 57 years and her daughter has lived and died she was 11 when she went out into space right so um this relationship between ripley and newt where she's kind of like a foster mother or like an adopted mother is interesting and has like there's a lot you can do with that and um i like the idea of bishop kind of being a foil for ash in the first movie where you mm-hmm. have like the evil android and the good android yep so i would have really liked to see a you know future movies where some of those relationships continued and like developed a little bit yeah um alien 3 is fine like it's it's fine um but i would have enjoyed seeing a different vision I've heard a little bit about Alien 3 and the making of, and it sounds like it was just a nightmare. Yeah. Like a, It's one of those like studio meddling situations yeah. where it's like the writers didn't get to make the movie they wanted to make, and the director didn't get to make the movie he wanted to make, and, you know, basically everyone walked yeah, away being like, you have some like, studio executives saying, like, add some of this. This is popular, and yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. What if it was very brown? Yeah. This movie. Yeah. <laughs> what if it all kind of looked like it fell in a rust pool? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> so yeah, it's unfortunate. I I'm one of the few people who thinks that some of the more recent um, alien additions have been interesting because they kind of go into the origins of how the alien came to be and why it is. a lot of people just I feel like they think that's getting too into the weeds and it's not entertaining, but it suits my my alien loving brain. I just mostly remember there's the big blue guy. Yeah. And then they revive the him engineers. or something or he shows up and just like kills people immediately. Yeah. So we share <laughs> we share DNA with the engineers. They're like uh, they, okay. they find them and they're like, these are the this is like our version of like God or whatever they created mm-hmm. us and wanted, we want to know why. And they, so they search him out and it turns out that they uh, hate us and designed the aliens to kill us all. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, it's more complicated than that, but that is, yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, enough said, like yeah. that, that explains it to me. And I'm He's like, the, well, that makes sense. In the first in movie way. when they go into the derelict spacecraft and there's yes. like the big creature, that's, that's the engineer. Yeah. Um, I think that's like, yeah, the the plus minus for me, because it's like it's fun to watch that first movie and there's just all this stuff in it yeah. that they don't explain at all. Yeah. You know, and it's like, OK, I guess there are like aliens and then also aliens that were inside those aliens and all this stuff. But also I'm like, eh, yeah, fine. yeah, you don't need to know any more than that if you don't want to. But anyone who wants to, like, explore the development of the alien and. There are different varieties of aliens and I don't know. Yeah. You can you can delve deep if you want to. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Well, so what did you think of the the comics overall? Were I enjoyed they, them. Yeah. I enjoyed the stories. I will say the one thing that really threw me out uh was the art in the third book. Mm. Um, because it was all like if you know Ripley from the movies, she's like no nonsense, competent, mm-hmm. you know, gets it done. You know, mm-hmm. it's what we love about her. It's what makes her Ripley. And the art style in this third book was very like wispy, curly hair, dewy lips, kind oh. of romantic. And I was like, it did not suit the story for me at all. Okay. So She's I didn't not enjoy like that. A space trucker. In yeah, she, well, you know, she has like this curly short bob and like oh. big pouty lips. And I'm like, mm, a little cutesy. Doesn't work for me. I can see that. Yeah. The aliens franchise in the comic book world has had an interesting, you know, it's been like owned by different companies at different yeah. times. And then occasionally you would get stuff like aliens versus Superman. Yeah. Which also it was like, think that's going to be a big problem for superman i mean i don't know i could be wrong but i'd be curious to know does the acid affect superman i think it was one of the here's what they always do with superman they're like well for some reason the aliens are on this asteroid orbiting a red sun so he's Mm. kind of depowered but not totally depowered i don't care about that i want to know if they landed on earth could superman take him out that's what i I want to know i'm pretty sure because it's like i'd feel better about it honestly (laughs) i I would definitely feel like oh this provides us some pretty good chances yeah yeah they had like green lantern fight the aliens which again it's just weird because you're like in a normal comic you have superman or green lantern fighting an aliens level threat yeah all the time you're like i mean this isn't really like 
a Superman thing? You want to hmm. you want to have like Batman fight? What them. happens if if Superman gets attacked by a face hugger? I don't think anything, but I don't know. I guess. I it's... mean, what's his defense against a face hugger? Against having a a you know a, a baby alien implanted by a face hugger? Well, I guess my argument against it would be like you know Superman has like super immunity, so he doesn't get like sick most of the time. He doesn't this get isn't like exactly whatever. An illness, though. But it's like a foreign body inside his body. So I would think his body would reject it. I feel but I don't like know. we are descending into the realms of the internet that are people are clicking away at this point. <laughs> I mean, if an alien was birthed, it would be a super alien in theory. But man, have we ever hit on a topic that hits your geeky and my geeky in exactly the sweet spot? <laughs> what if? I mean, I'm I'm willing to bet money that there is a comic book out there where an alien is hatched out of some kind of super being. And, you know, therefore is super powered in some way. I charge you to find this for me. All right. I'll take a look. Okay. I bet there's also, I was just thinking like, you know, if an alien attacked like Jason from Friday the 13th. Mm. And I'm like, somebody has done this. <laughs> Someone has I mean, to have done this. An alien is going to take Jason Voorhees apart. I would think so. But if they implanted an egg in him. Mm. I mean, he does have a hockey mask. So I guess he's got some... Well. And Protection. according to the existing movie lore, the um, the host does have a, a big effect on the form of the alien. Exactly. So. Right. Because if it's like on a dog, then it's like a dog alien. So I guess we'd see. Interesting. But there's got to be. I'll, I'll look for next time. I'm going to write it. All right. Aliens on Superman. And just see. Cool. I feel like somebody has done this. All right. I'd be to. interested just as like a weird thought experiment. If they haven't, idea copyright, <laughs> Megan and Peter, yeah. 2023. We're to make it happen. Yeah, Dark Horse or DC or whoever owns this yeah. now, you know, let us we're know. We're taking calls. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're reasonable rates. All right. Back to me for Extreme Canvas, Punisher, or The Unfortunates. Yes. So... I know that you would be very sad if I didn't let you talk about Extreme Canvas. All right. So we're going to do that. So Extreme Canvas is a book I came across kind of backwards because I came across these hand-painted, uh, they're like basically big movie marquee posters for usually action movies, mm -hmm. um, especially in Ghana, but there are some other parts of Africa where they have these. Yeah. So I found this book about it and it's kind of talks about how it happened and whatever and it's got some artsy fartsy essays at the beginning that are not good but it's got some much better essays as well um so basically what happened is you know they don't have the same access to movies and stuff that we do here so a lot of times in a smaller town or whatever, they'll have like a movie theater of some kind or they'll have a screen and right. they can project or they'll have even just a TV and everyone kind of sits around it. Um, so they, you know, advertise these movies. But the problem is you know, they don't. Lionsgate does not send them a poster for right. a movie. You know, nobody's sending them a poster. So they have <coughs> no marketing materials. So no one would know what the movies are and then oftentimes the titles are still in English or whatever so you know it doesn't mean anything and plus when a movie's called something like Double Impact you're like I don't know what, yeah. what is that yeah 
So what they started doing is having these uh, artists basically paint giant movie posters for the movies. And some of them, the least interesting ones, are basically just, uh, they're essentially the movie poster, but the same. Right. But they get more and more interesting because sometimes what they try to do is express the feeling of the movie, even if uh, they're depicting events that don't happen in the movie. (laughs) Or like uh, sometimes, too, they haven't seen the movie. Oftentimes they haven't seen the movie. So they might see a short clip of it, or sometimes they're even just somebody else has seen it and kind of describes to them what happened. The artistic game of telephone. Yes. And so those ones, it's very apparent that you're like, I don't think this person saw, because they have a really (laughs) pretty amazing ability to like recreate, you know, like a scene from the movie. If they've seen the movie. Right. um, You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I see what's going on here. But then there was, I think, particularly fun there were some posters for the movie Cujo and the different <laughs> kinds of dogs that were, de- none of them were the correct kind of dog. Uh, but most memorably one was like a big St. Bernard. <laughs> and he's got that big sad face and those eyes, those droopy eyes. And you're like, he, he just does not look scary at all. <laughs> you know, and you're like, mm, I'm not sure. But anyway, oftentimes like characters will have, guns or grenades and stuff when you're like that definitely does not (laughs) happen in this movie um so anyway the beginning one of the essays was explaining there was a guy talking about going to ghana i don't know what he was doing there he would go there periodically for some kind of business or something and uh he would always go to the movies when he was there because someone told him to do that because they were like it's interesting it's different And so he went to the movies and he was like, I was sitting Well, he went to get a ticket and then they have uh, floor seats and balcony seats. And the person was like, oh, you want a balcony seat? Because he's a white guy and, you know, foreign. Yeah. And they were like, people like you always sit at the balcony. And he was like, well, I want to sit on the floor because that's where everybody is. Like, I want to be part of the action. And the guy was just like, whatever, like your funeral. (laughs) Like, if you don't want to sit in the good seat, I guess, you know, whatever. Um, So then he's sitting down there and he was like, the movie started, but first they had commercials. And he was like, they were just commercials. You know, they weren't like big Coke commercials or whatever. It was like a guy standing in front of his store, just talking into a camera and stuff. And then he's like, and I think I dozed off. And then at some point I woke up. And everyone around me was very angry. And a guy, like, made me get up from my seat and, like, shoved me out to the lobby and stuff. It turns out they play, like, the national anthem before all the movies. Ah. And he didn't stand up for it. And so they thought he was, like, being a jerk. And he was just like, I didn't know what it was. Like, (laughs) I didn't know what was happening. And um, so then after that, the, the guy running the ticket counter was like, okay, okay. And he was like, everyone went back in. And he's like... I'll let you go back in after the movie starts and everyone calms down, but yeah. you got to go up to the balcony now. Cause like we can't, yeah. I don't want violence. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> um, but anyway, he was also talking about like the history of art in Africa. Cause for a long time it was believed, I guess in the Western world that African people didn't make 2d art. It was all 3d. So it was pots. It was like, uh, statues statues yeah carvings things like that um but it turns out that that's 
totally not true. The reason that they thought that was because that was the only stuff that people brought back to museums, uh. like in the UK. Because um, all the 2D art, a lot of it was like on the side of buildings mm. and on uh, walls of natural structures right. and stuff Can't like that. Can't take the giant boulder back with you. Exactly. Yeah. So they were like, I mean, I guess we'll just take this stuff, you know, and we'll leave this stuff because it's the side of your house. <laughs> But so anyway, how generous yeah. of the colonizers to leave them their house. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was like, well, I guess it's surprisingly uh, kind of them in a way. But I'm like, eh, I think it's really just laziness. Yeah, <laughs> kindness, right. practicality. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's that they're like, I'm worried about denying you the side of your house. It was probably more like, I'm not taking this back with me across land and onto a boat. Yeah, forget it. But um, anyway, so I guess for in the, in the art world for a long time, it was falsely believed that. Uh, people in Africa didn't make 2D art, which I was like, why would you think that? Like, yeah, this one group like of humans developed of completely differently than everyone else on the planet. Yeah, for some reason, they never made any art before and then started with like clay. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah. But anyway, I guess that was a thing. And so then <laughs> it was like, no, it's not true. And they have a very rich tradition of doing this. And uh, anyway, it was it's just a fun book it's fun to look at the it's almost like reading like interesting reviews of a movie mm -hmm. you know from a very different perspective because you look at it and you see like what stuck out to them about this movie yeah you know and um you see a lot of like the action heroes and stuff like that you know arnold very lovingly painted and uh uh what's his face uh jean-claude van damme mm. is very much beloved in that part of the world. Also, uh, Cynthia Rothrock is quite popular there. And she, she Do I is, know who that is? Maybe not. She was in a lot of like uh, Kung Fu, American Kung Fu movies and action movies in the 90s. And she was kind of like, uh, she was kind of like the female Van Damme or something. Okay. You know, and you're like, well, I could see, she's not like exactly a, uh, you know, stellar actor but she's certainly no worse than like steven seagal or something sure. you know what i mean or arnold or whoever right. um and she's the probably... bar's not that high for that field that yeah. genre yeah and so i think it was i i'm not the first person to go to this road but i think she probably didn't get her due because she was a lady in a very uh testosterone driven genre right it also seems like a lot of the movies she's in, they don't really know what to do with her. Because mm -hmm. it seems like they don't want to have her, like, fist fighting a dude. Um, which is probably also the mix of... This is, like, why they brought Batman into... Or Batgirl into Batman. Because mm. they're like, well, we don't really want Batman punching out Catwoman. <laughs> you know, they're like... In the 60s, they're like, eh, this is a little... Uh, sure. Questionable. So then, you know, you bring in Batgirl because it's like, oh, she could do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that's a little Cynthia Rothrock aside. So she's in some pretty, she's in some not great B-movies, action movies. She's pretty good. Like her action sequences are pretty good. And it does seem like if she'd gotten a chance to be in uh, more stuff, she probably would have. And I know there there must have been someone who had floated scripts out there with like big lady action stars, yeah. but it just never seemed to work. Well, for the longest time, Hollywood was like, ladies won't go see action movies. That was probably part of it, too. Yeah. 
I feel like there was this idea back in the day, too, of like, well, the guys go see it because the action is great. The ladies go because he's such a beefcake or something, which I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that turned out to be true. Yeah, but generally, no. They would just go because whatever. If you're going to the movie, you're probably going with somebody and yeah. you go see something. But anyway, so, yeah, she probably didn't get her due. Which also, by that token, is weird, because I'm like, why wouldn't you have a lady in an action movie? Because you're like, well, if people are going for the action and the sort of beefcake thing, I would think you would get the exact same effect if you went with a lady action hero. Yeah. I don't see any issue there. Well, and it's not like it had never happened. We have Alien. We have, you know, Linda Hamilton and Terminator. That was a little later, but. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It it just never seemed to happen for until yeah. pretty probably pretty late in the nineties. Thinking of like Michelle Yeoh in the James mm. Bond movie, and she was kind of like not the Bond girl, but a fellow yeah. fellow spy. I love Michelle Yeoh. She was pretty great yeah. in that movie. I'm excited she's getting like some of her recognition now. Yeah, because I feel like she's been she's been being great. <laughs> yeah, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon yeah. had some female kung fu action mm-hmm. going on that was pretty good all of that like what is it wuxia kind yeah. of yeah but it still it still had been it still was and still kind of is few and far between although they don't really make that kind of movie anymore it's so true. i don't know which i would welcome a return to be honest of like the dumb action movie yeah, 80s fun movies they have they've never been matched in my opinion yeah, it is kind of weird that we got away from that. Because, yeah. like, you go back and you watch some of them, even the mediocre ones, and you're just You'll like, have a good this time. is so over the top and amazing. Yeah. Like, they really made movies. Yeah. I just watched this thing. It was um, Conan O'Brien talking about a movie, and Pat Oswalt was talking about just some cheap movie that someone made. And they watched this guy do a real stunt where he was like jumping out of a car that got hit by a train and then it explodes. And the guy is like, definitely was in the fire of the explosion. And you're like, this guy did this stunt for this like cheap movie that nobody saw. You know what I mean? And yeah. it was like, that's the kind of, that was the level everything was at. It was like pitched so high. Yeah. So it's just kind of wild. That, Even if know. the movies weren't great, they were fun. Yeah. Yeah. They always had something in them that yeah. you were like, whoa. This is out of control. And when they were great, they were so good. Yeah. We were watching something, an older action movie, and I was just kind of amazed because I was like, everything explodes in this movie. Everything. And all the one-liners. Why did we get rid of the cheesy one-liners? They're so fun. I don't know. I don't know. Your luggage. (laughs) It's it's dumb, but it's so funny. Yeah, and it it seems like we replaced it with either... Like superheroes, which is a very different thing, mm-hmm. or replaced it with like, you've got action heroes in like a they're Star world Wars. They're world weary. Yeah, but they're kind of grim. Yeah. And it's not the same. It's not yeah. like what you're looking for. Anyway. Bring back the joy and explosions. I agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm for it. I guess uh, Cynthia Rothrock was in a movie called Expendables, oh. which is a lady expendables. All right. Which is not, it's not good. Wow. But. For what it is, it's okay. Okay. It's it is an asylum picture, so you know. They come <laughs> up with a name, they make a movie based on that name, and they go for it. But 
and that's another one where Cynthia Rothrock, it's like, they just don't give her anything to do. Also, she's probably, like, in her 50s. Oh. So she's not in her action prime. Well, you know, Liam Neeson made his uh, whole second career out of action movies. I suppose if you're willing to cut film to show him jumping over a fence in, you know, 25 different shots, yeah, <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Just cut to a wide and have a stunt guy do it. Like, what? what are we doing? Hey, more power to Liam Neeson. I, Some of those it. movies are fun. They are pretty fun. <laughs> also, my favorite title, A Walk Among the Tombstones, might be my favorite movie title of all time. No, it's that one about somebody who like did a big thing and also killed the Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. The man who killed D.B. Cooper and also Bigfoot or something like that. Was it Hitler? Oh, yeah. It was Hitler. You're right. Yeah. The man who killed Hitler and also Bigfoot. Yeah. That's a that's a good title. That's a pretty good title. I just I walk among <laughs> the tombstones. I'm like, he must say it in the movie, right? I mean, yeah. You ready to take your walk among the tombstones? <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm ready to hear about. Oof. Okay. I know we got a variety here. I mean, I'm interested in the edges of the earth, but I'm also, you know, if you would like to talk about Alona Andrews. I will. T- I mean, I'm going to talk a little, little about All right. them either way. So you pick the one you want to hear about. I want to hear the three polls. Okay. So um, people who know me, I'm pretty sure you know this. I have um, an interest in polar exploration, mm-hmm. specifically the Northwest Passage, but really <laughs> all kinds of polar exploration I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was interested when I saw that this book was out there. Um, it's... Focus is mainly on 1909, which is kind of the end of this big focus, this worldwide focus on like discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, it was right before World War One, and that kind of put the the final nails in the coffin on this like this obsession that humanity had with like being the first to do something, the first to see something, all of that. Mm. Um, and so it focuses on three people who are ostensibly the first to do things, or I will say the first white person to do things. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, um, just because you were the first to do it doesn't mean that, sure. you know, some yeah. of the locals might have already done it. Right. Yeah. Some some guy may have gone up Everest forever ago. Right. I don't know if you, I don't know if I would or not. Because I'd be like, boy, this seems like a bad idea. Yeah. It's well, like, I... would I do it? Sometimes it's like, even like such a bad idea. people who are involved with the expedition who like oh, laid true. laid caches of supplies along the way beforehand, you know, true. like so. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, well, so did you just make that guy sh- stop ten feet short of the <laughs> like they just change what they say and they're like, I'm the first white man to stand at the pole because mm-hmm. uh, apparently that matters. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I, I knew very little about actual, you know, we're going to get to the North Pole stuff because a lot of what I've read in the past has been Search for the Northwest Passage, mm-hmm. um, which is only now becoming open because of climate change. <laughs> so, Turns out we just had to wait. Yeah, just <laughs> had then... to, like, really critically injure the environment. That's all. Yeah. Um, I figured so... out how to open up this passage. It's called the internal combustion engine. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. and that'll take us there? Well, No. I mean, yes, but, you know, give it time. Yeah. Give me a couple hundred years. (laughs) You'll see. 
so it starts with um, Robert Peary, who was an American, and he is credited with being the first at the North Pole. Although having listened to this book, I have my doubts. <laughs> <laughs> um, he seems like a like a piece of work to me. Like, and granted, I have only read this one book and read his Wikipedia page, but um, he's. He was obsessed with being recognized as like this great explorer and uh, he took a few cracks at the North Pole and he had these contentious relationships with other explorers, um, <laughs> Cook and some others and uh-huh. um, talking about how they, you know, they were liars or whatever. But the fact of the matter is his diary has them making distances that um, haven't been matched today, even with like modern mm-hmm. supplies. So you got to kind of question yeah. Also, he didn't always take measurements. He just kind of like aimed generally north and then said, hey, I went all these miles and this is the North Pole. Uh-huh. It's like, but are you sure you've been really going know. actually north? Yeah. <laughs> you got to take those measurements, you know. I guess that's a thing back then, too, right? Because you're like, I guess. Yeah. We're there. Yeah. You know, like you, oh. you needed a sextant to like because they went in the summer because in the winter there was no sun. Right. Um, and also it was very much colder. Right. <laughs> so they would go during the summer and you would have to take measurements generally at like 6 a.m. or noon um, to to determine where the sun is and that helps you find north. Okay. Um, or whatever. But So he's credited with being the first there. In actuality, he sent um, one of his crew members out before him who happened to be black mm-hmm. Matthew Hen- I think it's Matthew Henson mm-hmm. uh, who if they actually were at the pole he would have been the first one there um, mm-hmm. but that infuriated Peary he sounds like I said he sounds like quite even guy. though he did it yeah <laughs> I-, I think he thought that he would just make sure that they were kind of going in the right direction and oh, then stop but he was like why would you- why would you do that right <laughs> so He's like roll the red carpet out for me but stand on the far end. Exactly. And then, you know, <laughs> so why would you do that? I have doubts if they even that? made it. Um, if they did, it would have been Henson there first. Okay. Um, in my opinion, my slightly informed opinion. <laughs> That's well, what it sounds like to me. Seems entirely plausible. Yeah. And he just, he doesn't seem like the nicest guy anyway. He like, <laughs> he left his pregnant wife um, mm. like a bunch of different times. He, he was a, a naval civil engineer uh-huh. And he spent most of his Navy career on paid leave so that he could do all of this exploring. Um, and he would like be living in like Northern Greenland. And he took like a 14 year old girl as a mistress and had a baby <laughs> with her. Wow. And like his wife came to visit after the death of their second child. And there he is with this whole second family. Jeez. Yeah. So he, he's not my favorite explorer. I prefer Franklin. <laughs> so he also explored the realms of good taste. Yes, he did. <laughs> to the very edge. Yes, he did. <laughs> okay. Um, so you get to hear all about his um, his explorations. For anyone who's who doesn't know, um, polar exploration has always been pretty much the worst idea you could have. I was gonna ask you almost exactly that question like yeah. in the early 1900s late 1800s yeah is that probably like the worst thing i mean that you, you were come up with 50 to do? 50 you're gonna die yeah <laughs> you know and horribly Hor- yeah it's not you're, uh-huh. you're gonna have uh you're gonna lose toes i think peary had two toes left by uh, <laughs> by the time he died he had his two pinky toes and that's it uh, oh sure uh, yeah the best ones yeah <laughs> 
you were going to get frostbite somewhere. Mm -hmm. You were probably going to lose toes. You were probably going to lose teeth because scurvy. Oh, right. Um, you were going to eat, definitely eat dog. Yeah. Um, because they they yeah. used dogs to pull their sledges, at least in the north. Right. And uh, the dogs, you know, were seen as like their secondary fuel as they needed fewer dogs because they had fewer supplies. They would kill the dogs and feed them to the dogs and to themselves. Okay. There's always been um question about Franklin's final expedition. It sounds like they probably resorted to cannibalism, mm -hmm. um, but they were found after they were all dead. So that's based on, you know, they think so based on bones and stuff. But I can't decide if it's worse to be on an expedition where you did cannibalism or where you did cannibalism and it didn't work anyway. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, I guess we could have just not done that. Yeah. Would have yeah. spared me. You know, Something. it's real cold. Everybody ended up with lice. Yeah. Um, everybody got snow blindness. Um, yeah. Like, there's just so many. Everybody starved. Like, you were on the verge of starvation the whole time. It just doesn't sound uh, in any way good. Like, I mean, it just sounds horrible. It doesn't to sound me. like a good time. I don't time. understand. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I don't have that drive either. Yeah. But people love to hear about it. So you could really make a name for yourself and make a lot of mm. money on the lecture circuit. Okay. By coming back and, and talking to people about your expeditions. Um, so in addition to like fame and fortune, you also could like continue to make that money the rest of your life. If you were, mm. if you could successfully do something, people were claiming like farthest north forever. They weren't making the poll. Right. So it'd be like, I got the farthest north. I got the farthest north. Right. So, you know, and it was just, it was everyone's obsession. So everybody was interested in being the first to do things. So. It's just so strange. So, yeah. So you have Peary for the North Pole. Um, you have Shackleton, um, uh, who sure. claimed to be the first at the South Pole. It sounds like that's generally considered to be accurate. He had two groups, and they also hit the Magnetic South. Okay. Um, and this was pre-endurance. Right. So the endurance actually happened kind of after the golden age of exploration. Okay. Um, <coughs> and that was like... Shackleton's big disastrous. I mean, thing. I'm not going to say that his polar expedition was exactly like, <laughs> you know, a barrel of monkeys. <laughs> yeah. You know, things go wrong. He made he um he did some North Pole stuff as well, and uh, didn't like dogs, so he decided he was going to take Russian ponies to the South Pole, and mm -hmm. that turned out to not be a great idea. And they also would like leave them in caches so that, you know, as they died, they would come back that way and uh -huh. um, ended up with some uh, some intestinal distress, oh, some boy. pretty serious food poisoning, yeah. they think. Um, also, they weren't really made for for that kind of work, so it didn't really work out. Yeah, um, I, I feel like the dogs, you're like, well, you can get certain dogs that are, you know, built for that. Yeah, but horses i'm like i don't know yeah little ponies there was not i like it also they had to carry all of their food like a bunch of hay right that's um, the other thing because a horse weighs like a ton mm -hmm. and then they eat so yeah you had a to thing that weighs a ton eats i mean well and the decisions that like i i'm digress i keep getting onto all of these side stories but like they they needed so much to make these expeditions that they like they overloaded the boat. Uh -huh. um, so the boat is sitting below where it should safely be sitting uh -huh. in the tide. Uh, and they're like crossing their fingers. They're even going to make it from New Zealand. Like 
before they even before hit the they problems. even get anywhere yeah. near Antarctica. <laughs> they're like, here's hope and cross. They're just rolling the dice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you get a bit about Shackleton, who, as a person, was a lot more charismatic and mm. is kind of universally considered to be like a pretty great leader of people. Um, kept them inspired, kept them motivated. He led from the front. Like, mm-hmm. um, he. He was rescued on his South Pole exploration. He was rescued by the boat. Like they were all late. They were all running late off from schedule. And the boat was instructed to leave them if they didn't show up by a certain point and just leave like a like refreshing crew to kind of rescue them. And they'd have to stay there for another winter. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. Um, so they were they were picked up starving, you know, and yeah. then they were headed back to get the southern like the magnetic pole party. And he, even though he'd only been on the boat for like a day, he'd had a bath, he'd had a couple good meals. He still went out with the rescue crew to find the Jeez. the magnetic pole party. So good for him. Yeah, he sounds like an interesting dude, even though he made some bad decisions. And you know, <laughs> he at least like he didn't make anyone else take the fall, which it sounds like Peary kind of did. So even though his entire life was based on a series of decisions, I will never understand. I am. Like... <laughs> I mean, it makes for interesting stories, but. At least he seemed like a relatively good boss, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then for the the like elevation pole, it focuses on this guy who I had never heard of. And now I kind of want to learn more about. He sounds like a really fascinating person. Uh, his name is Prince Luigi Amadeo, Duke of the Abruzzi. That's a great name. Yeah. Okay. So he was uh, an Italian duke mm-hmm. um, and he's related to the Spanish royal family. Mm-hmm. So like a proper royal and uh, he was primarily a mountaineer. He climbed, um, uh, I forget the name of it, the, but there's this famous alpine mountain um, and that was like really hard to climb. And so he climbed that several times. Mont Blanc, that's what oh, it was. Okay. He climbed Mont Blanc and uh, he was one of the first to successfully climb the Matterhorn. Um, he, you know, he was just kind of this suave kind of like cool guy. He came and gave some lectures in the U.S. and fell in love with an American heiress, but was forbidden to marry a commoner. So there's this whole like forbidden <laughs> love aspect to his life, which uh-huh. is like sad. He ended up never marrying. So um, and he actually did some polar stuff. He went, but um, none of his parties were successful in reaching the pole. Mm. Uh, and since his first love was mountaineering, he decided. Um, Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. The Himalayas were like the next big thing because yeah. people had started with the Alps. There had been a little bit of climbing in the, in the Andes, but really like the, the great unknown was the Himalayas and Nepal and Tibet had pretty much closed off the, the region that included um, um, Everest. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, white people couldn't get in there to try and climb it. So the next highest was K2, which is also, I think even still considered like the most difficult mountain to climb. So, and so it, it follows his attempts to climb to the peak of, of K2 and he was unsuccessful and actually declared that it was impossible, that no one would ever climb K2. Uh, he climbed another one instead. And uh, with him was an early photographer who took uh, the some of the first like um, big sweeping vistas of, of the Himalayas, which are still, they inspired Ansel Adams. Like they're still considered That's some cool. of the most beautiful photos ever taken. Well, it'd just be so amazing back then, right? Because you'd be like, I've never seen anything remotely like this. Apparently when they arrived and um, because India had been um, 
had been colonized for some time, they had a big support system that helped them get to the Himalayas. So they they didn't have to scrimp and save. And mm. like there was a whole a whole group of people willing to help them out. And they so they get to the Himalayas and they said they kind of stepped to to look at the view and they just stood there awestruck for something like half an hour before <laughs> anyone even said anything. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, I guess maybe that's like the thing about exploring back in the day, right? Yeah. Like if if you were a part of a people who and like no one had seen the ocean, and yeah. Then you get to the ocean and you're like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> what is this? What is happening? Yeah. I can't even wrap wrap my mind around. Or like if you found the Grand Canyon or something, yeah. You'd be like, what? I guess the equivalent now are these people who like want to go to space and Mars yes. and all of that. And I want to go to space. See, this is not an urge I have. <laughs> Explore I the depths of the ocean. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm not as hot on the ocean because I'm like every everything. Anytime I see a news story about the ocean, it's really scary fish found yeah. at the depths. And I'm like, person no, imploded pass. at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's like, yeah, the ocean I'm not so into, but space I'm a little more into. I mean, the same thing, Sam. It does. Your blood can boil in space. It can. But it's like, I, I guess, well, maybe we're headed into a future where this isn't true. For now, space <laughs> is only accessible if you've put quite a bit of, like, to-do into it. Yeah. You know, I can't just, I can't make a thing be in space. I don't, I true. don't have the ability. But I, I'm, I'm happy to hear you acknowledge this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could nail a bunch of boards together and make a, quote, submarine. But, you know. Yeah. That didn't work out so I well. I couldn't get into space. People. Yeah. Even for millionaires. No. So I guess, like, the inaccessibility of space makes me feel like it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more oversight of what's happening going into space. But maybe that won't be true forever. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I just can't believe somebody's like climbing K2 like at that time because I'm like, you know, forget Gore-Tex or something. You know, they're probably wearing like pants made out of canvas or something. You know what I mean? Like, I can tell you that Shackleton's <laughs> South Pole, like he was advised by people who had been exploring the, the North Polar regions for a while to do as the Inuit did and wear furs. Uh -huh. And he was like, we've got this Burberry canvas. We'll be fine. No. Dude, <laughs> no. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, it's like I can't imagine trying to do that today. Yeah. But like at least today I'd have like some things, you know, stuff. Yeah. Back then you would have like nothing. Yeah. I picture like I picture this guy going up a mountain and he's wearing like loafers, you know? Like well, what was he wearing? Boots with crampons. Yeah. But I mean, this boots probably weighed like eight pounds yeah, or they something. Probably you know, did. I mean, like, forget <sighs> waterproof. It makes for some really interesting reading, though. Yeah. Like, the stories are great, and it, they really like they did work hard. Like, I have oh, varying man. degrees of respect for them as sure. people, but they really did put their, you know, put their well-being on the line for this. No one could take that away. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, I remember reading this book about, like, the very first marathon, you know, because it was, like, a lot of questions about, like, is this possible? Yeah. Like, can people run this far? And, like, there was a runner who had a team with him that was uh, insisting that the worst thing he could do would be to drink any water. <laughs> and instead, we're making him this concoction that was made of, like, egg and strychnine. Strychnine? <laughs> yeah. 
And he wasn't feeling very good. Amazing. Halfway through the race. I yeah. wonder why. How? What could have happened? And this book was explaining. It was like a kid's book. And it was like, by the way, strychnine is a common ingredient in rat poison. <laughs> That's what they were feeding. And the book was kind of trying to explain like, uh, you know, back then they thought they were doing something good. And they weren't always doing what they thought they were doing. And, you know, yeah. they were doing their best. <laughs> Yeah. And that's what's weird about it. I'm like, yeah, they were doing their best, but like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say if anyone's interested in like human hubris and, and, you know, life and death and seeing new things like polar exploration is great, great reading for that stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What was that called? To the Edges? To the Edges of the Earth. Um, 1909, the race for the three poles and the climax of the age of exploration. Nice. Because, yeah, some exploration stuff still happened in the polar regions after that, but the, like, craze around it was never really recovered from World War One. That does seem like it was, like, the end of an era. Yeah. As far as that goes. I will say, when I was in library school, I did a summer of study in London, and I went to the Maritime Museum in Greenwich, and they had the captain's log and that uh, had been rebound in wood from the endurance um mm. and they brought it out for us so oh, i got cool. to see that yeah that's pretty exciting i was to the moon like <laughs> i already enjoy seeing like historical stuff but that this was so like attuned to my personal interest it was mm -hmm. really cool that is pretty good yeah it's pretty good you're like of everything in library school this happened yeah that's a big it's pretty plus. great <laughs> all right i'm gonna go over my four real quick do the thing i did beowulf beowulf whatever it's pronounced by zach wiener smith and extreme canvas by ernie wolf the third um okay then i also had punisher epic collection volume four by stephen grant as the listed author i think there's a couple others um it was <laughs> Okay, it's from a weird era of comics. You so you could read this. Uh, it's Epic Collection Four as opposed to One or whatever. Um, Marvel's done this selection called Epic Collections, where mm -hmm. they kind of collect runs of different books. Um, but you don't really need to read others to know. You just need to know the Punisher is this guy who was a Vietnam vet, and he came back to the states, and his family was killed because there were two fighting mobs. And uh, they were in the park, and they got killed in the crossfire. Okay. And so he's on a one-man war against crime. And that's basically it. Okay. Um, well, first of all, the first story is about somehow the Punisher gets involved with uh, finding out that the Navy has worked with this, like, evil contractor who's made them a, a submarine that is uh, using substandard materials and other things. And so it's actually super dangerous, and he's trying to prevent them from being on the submarine. Um, and, you know, a bunch of action-y things happen. But I was just reading this like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> like, the Punisher is, you know. When you do that thing where you're like, the Simpsons predicted the future or right. something. And I was like, this kind of happened. Yeah. But the Punisher was not there to save the day. <laughs> um, but the other, okay, there's two interesting things about it. One is that... This is a moment in time when there's this thing called the Comics Code Authority. This was a self-imposed sort of rating system that comics did um, after, like, the 50s because there was panic about, you know, what are kids seeing and yeah. what are blah, blah, blah. 
So they had this thing and they would put this stamp on the front of their books that were like comics code authority approved. But then it seemed like sometime in the 80s and 90s, they were just totally asleep at the wheel. The comics code authority people. Because this has stuff in it that you're just like, what? (laughs) Um, There's a storyline called Intruder where the Punisher is like captured trying to like infiltrate some facility and he's being tortured. And they put like uh, they're going to drown him like while he's just at a in a chair. So they put this bag over his head. And then they fill it up with urine. And so I was like, what is going on in this book? Um, That's disgusting. Yeah. And I was like, somebody at Comics Code Authority has got some splaining to do. (laughs) Like, did you read the whole thing? (laughs) Did you see a black and white print of this? Like, Mm. what's happening? Um, But I think the other interesting thing about these books is like the Punisher has been a controversial figure. Uh, you know, because he's kind of like a, in more recent times, I think, been adopted by sort of para-police organizations. Yeah. And the symbology of the Punisher has been adopted by, um, I don't know what you would call them. gun Authoritarian? Gun weirdos. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it, in the book, it's kind of, uh, when you read these uh, these comics, it's like the Punisher is presented as like a monster. Like, he's not a good guy. Not a hero. Yeah, I mean, he's not... Uh, I guess he's, you know, killing people who are bad. He doesn't kill, like, good people or anything. But nobody's happy to see him come. It's not like when he shows up on the scene, other superheroes are like, oh, thank God the Punisher's here. And the cops are not like, oh, thank God the Punisher's here. And the bad guys are not like, oh, thank... Nobody is happy to see him. Everybody is like, oh, no. The Punisher is Things here. are about to get a lot worse. Things have gotten out of control. Yeah. <laughs> like Things are not good, and we are not <laughs> happy that he's here. So it's just it's interesting, because to read these books and to see that that was the vibe of the character from pretty early on is kind of uh, fascinating. The other one is The Unfortunates by B.S. Johnson. Uh-huh. So this is the one, you get it, it's a box, it's got 20... I think this version has 28 pamphlets in it because it's got an introductory pamphlet and then one that's labeled first, one that's labeled last, and then you can read all the other ones in between. So the story of it is that um, this guy is works for a newspaper and he's gone to this small town to cover a soccer match. And basically when he gets there, realizes that he's spent a little bit of time in this town because he had a good friend who was uh slowly dying basically and this is where he was living at the time as he was slowly dying so this guy had made several visits to here and he'd visited with like a woman he was seeing that he no longer sees and stuff like that so the pamphlets each one is kind of like him walking through the town and he has a different memory of you know, this happened or that happened. And I guess the idea of why it was written and presented that way was the author was like, this is how memory works. It's like, you don't remember things in a linear, this, then this, then this way. He's like, you're walking and then you see a sign for a pub and that reminds you of something, you know, or like sometimes you see something or smell something and it reminds you of something unrelated to everything else that's happening you know stuff like that so he was trying to like recreate that experience in a book Hmm. and what was cool about it is it it works 
like there's an emotional depth to it that I was like, I was like, this is a gimmick, you know? So I don't know if this is going to be any good, but it was really good. Okay. And he actually pulls it off. Like you're reading it and you're like, oh, I do feel things for this guy. And I feel part of it is informed by, so the author uh, did die by suicide actually mm. just a couple years after this. And, um, he never had like any success really as an author. And I think, there was a lot mixed up in that of like he felt misunderstood yeah and i think that was really difficult for him and like i don't want to psychoanalyze him but you're like reading this book and it's kind of the book is sort of about like what's the significance of one life and like if i try to write down my memories of this person does it matter and like now that he's gone does he matter you know all these yeah. different things and so it is kind of when you're reading it in the back of your mind, you've also got like, well, he's talking about himself. And he was quoted in an interview as saying like, he doesn't really write fiction. He's like, I write fiction, but it's everything that's happening in my own head. You know, it's like everything that I write is about what's happening with me and like how I feel. Um, so it has like added depth from that. Yeah. too. But anyway, it's, it's good. It's not, it's heavier. It's not like a light read, but yeah. also it's so interesting and the way it works is interesting, but also the fact that it actually does work yeah, is kind of a, a feat. And it just, it's a very different reading experience. And I would be really curious to like someone else reading it and reading it in a different order. You right. Know, do they have a different experience with it? Um hmm. So yeah, that's the unfortunate. Where did you find Johnson. that? Is that available through like Prospector? It or? is, yeah. Okay. They have it at uh, UNC Library in Greeley. Okay. So that's where my copy came from. So if you're anywhere in you know Colorado, basically, you can get it pretty quick from Prospector. And if you're not, you can probably get it through Interlibrary Loan as well. Yeah. Cool. That's All right. Four. Uh, so I'll talk about my four. First, we talked about Aliens, The Essential Comics, Volume 1. Mm -hmm. uh, essential. The, <laughs> the Essential Comics. <laughs> I think they cut out some of the more problematic ones you were referring to. They, like, pick the good stuff to Probably. reprint. Well, there's reprints. also just a bunch of... Mm, I, well, I'll just call it garbage. Yeah. You know, they're just like, uh, we have an alien story to put out this month. What do you got? <laughs> yeah. So I think they're picking and choosing some of the better yeah. installations. Uh, then we talked about To the Edges of the Earth by Edward J. Larson, which is my exploration book. Uh, then I have Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes, which is um, the story of Medusa kind of told from Medusa's perspective largely. It also, um, you get some of the story from Perseus's point of view and Athena and um, some of these other characters from myth and legend. Um, but basically what people don't often realize about Medusa, they know that she had like a head of snakes. She was a Gorgon and she could turn men to stone with her, with her look. Um, but she was actually like just a, a normal young woman who was in uh, a new temple that was built for Athena and Poseidon followed her in and raped her. And it made Athena so angry that she punished Medusa by basically turning her into like snake haired and cursing her with the, the, the eyes that turned men to stone. So before the, any of that, she didn't have those, those characteristics. 
these gods were like real meddlers yeah. back in this day. Like the Greek gods were not generally people you would want to be associated no. with. They caused a lot of problems. They really did. Yeah. yeah. It was like, who put you guys in charge? Like, yeah. what are you doing? So it covers that and it covers um, Perseus and how he was the son of Zeus and um, some of his mother, Dene, her, her story. She was locked away by her father because there was a, there was a, a prophecy that she would have a son who would, you know, kill him basically. Oh, right. And so he locked her away so that she could never have a child, which meant that Zeus got in, interested and visited her as a reign of gold and then you get Perseus. Always works. Always works. They're like, oh, well, I'll just undo the prophecy by doing this. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's doing the prophecy. That's how prophecy works. Yeah. And you get some of the story of um, his quest to have the head of a Gorgon, which he wanted to do to save his mother from an unwanted marriage. Mm. And um, Andromeda, the story of Andromeda and how he ended up um, helping Andromeda and like the hubris in that family and like the vanity and it's it's basically just a look at greek mythology where you kind of walk away going like not a lot of likable people in greek mythology <laughs> like you end up feeling really bad for medusa yeah who was mostly purely a victim and everyone else you're kind of like you're all a little gross yeah so it's a little sad but interesting if you're into mythology i would recommend reading it all right it would test my patience because yeah. having played Castlevania's, <laughs> Medusa is one of the worst bad guys. Yeah. It's like Medusa heads fly at you in this sine wave pattern. And it's almost impossible. Do they turn you to stone? Uh, or do they just kill you? Those usually don't, but the, then there's usually also a boss Medusa who will turn you to stone. Okay. Among, <laughs> among other powers, I yeah. guess. But yeah. Well. I grew up watching uh, that old movie, Clash of the Titans, with Harry Hamlin. Oh, yeah. Um, it it spawned my deep, intense love of mythology. So I have never been able to get enough mythology. Did that love extend to the remake of Clash of the Titans? No, it did not. <laughs> no way. It did not, indeed. In fact, I tried to no, watch <laughs> some making of stuff before it was released, and it got me so angry that I have never even seen it. So. All right. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's another movie. It's like should have worked, but man, did not. The original was so good, and they. I think part of what made me mad was that they were talking badly about Ray Harryhausen, who yeah. did the special effects for the original right. movie. And does it look dated to our modern eyes? Absolutely. Would we have modern special effects without Ray Harryhausen? No, we wouldn't. Well, yeah, you're like, what was he supposed to do? Yeah time travel and bring a computer yeah. and adobe premiere into the past he like, was a pioneer not... and his yeah. stuff is amazing and i will not hear anyone talk badly about ray harryhausen so yeah. <laughs> won't have it i will not have it not in this house <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then my fourth book is iron and magic by alona andrews who mm -hmm. is still getting the job done for me <laughs> Still Taking loving all of it. Business. I'm mopping up like the remainder of some of the short stories and like little vignettes from other characters' perspective and that kind of stuff. Um, this one is a spinoff of the Kate Daniels books. If anyone has been reading or has read the Kate Daniels books, there's a character, Hugh Dembray, and uh, he is one of the most significant villains in the Kate Daniels books. And he is the focus. He's like the hero of this one. And 
if you finish the Kate Daniels book, you'll you'll get a sense of like what's going on with him because he kind of disappears and then he kind of comes back in a new capacity. And this is the bridge mm. kind of between that, like how mm -hmm. he becomes what he ends up as at the finale of the Kate Daniels book. So, gotcha. And I quite enjoyed it. As as expected. Yeah, no surprises there. Yeah. They, you know, I think there there actually is one more like Steel's Edge or something series that I haven't read, but they don't seem like they're the same type of book. So I'm still going to read them because chances are I'm going to like them. But as I mean, far as like the series that I've been reading, I'm, I'm running out. Seems worth taking a chance on. I think so. I would say yeah. based on your other... My uh, history. Yeah. Based on your enjoyment of these so far. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I have like 10, 9 or 10 that I read other than, than these that I could have chosen from. Feels like a low risk uh, yeah. thing to take a chance on. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not too worried about it. I am waiting. I'm waiting to be like, one day if Megan came in, just like, well, Alone Andrews, you blew it. That's it. Yeah, not so far. Done. But yeah. Honestly, at this so point, far. even if I read one that I really disliked, I think it wouldn't tip the balance. I'd There's be like... enough like goodwill built up. Yep. Yeah. I hear that. You have those authors or whatever that you're just like, yeah, you know what? If they did a stinker at this point, I'd be like, yeah, you know, yeah. one out of twenty-five. Like, nobody hits. I'll take you it. know, it hits a hundred every time. Yeah, yeah, it's like a band that you really like, you know, and they come out with an album that you're like, mm, this is probably like a C plus at best. Yeah, but, but the rest of them are all Desert Island yeah. albums. So yeah, we're so good. you're like, yeah, you know what? That's fine. <laughs> if you want to do your Life of the Fabulous Killjoys, I'll allow it. Yeah, <laughs> allow your weird art record <laughs> all right i think we did it we did it well thanks for listening everybody yeah uh we'll see you again hopefully in about a month yeah we're sorry about the break yeah it was it was my fault i should it confess. wasn't your fault though i mean i got called for jury duty yeah. for anyone who's wondering so i've been out of work for a month yeah so yeah unavailable yeah i thought about we're trying back. to have an ai uh do your half of the show <laughs> And I was like, maybe, but, you know, and I was like, what would an AI, I'd be like, AI, tell me about an Alona Andrews book. <laughs> but I was like, eh, that'd be boring. Yeah. And then. Well, I, I would... appreciate that I'm preferable to an AI. Well, also I was like, I would have hurt feelings because everyone would be like, the show's worthless without Megan. And I'd be like, well then. Wow. That was weirdly backhandedly complimentary to me. It was. It was totally <laughs> complimentary to you. Um. But yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not saying they would be objectively incorrect to say that. I'm just saying, I don't want to hear it. I well, can't handle it. I don't that. think it's entirely true either. Well, okay. Not entirely true. Well, 98%. I'm, I'm... <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. We'll see you next time, yeah. everybody. Bye. <laughs>